Hi everyone, you are listening to LD Spotlight, a podcast about learning and development brought to you by Nifty Learning. I'm your host, Liz Stefan, and together we're here to learn about LD. My guest today is Jolt Ola. He's a senior learning technologist at Amazon, responsible for the effective and efficient data measurement and evaluation strategy for the team to create more impact and less content. Prior to Amazon, for over 20 years, Jolt held various learning and technology positions in the corporate industry to analyze business problems and provide effective learning solutions. He often speaks at conferences about the intersection of data, technology, learning, and engagement, including games and gamification. Jolt has a computer science and teaching background. He's a published author, blogger, speaker, but mostly doer. In his free time, he attempts to write screenplays, play the keyboard, and mediocre soccer. Welcome, Jolt. Happy to have you here. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me, Liz. I was very, very intrigued both by your role as a learning technologist, but also by your approach and, uh, let's say, the information that you give in your LinkedIn content and in your participation in various conferences and events. So I'm very excited for this conversation, and I fully expect that we will be tackling some, let's say, tough topics, let's call them. But before we go into the meat of today's conversation, can you please shine a light on what it means to be a a learning technologist? Can you explain a bit more the activity and the kinds of things that you deal with on a daily basis? So I think the title doesn't mean much because actually even within Amazon, if you go to different teams and you talk to learning technologists, they might actually do different things. In my case, and this is, I think, one of the big mysteries out there or even myth is that learning technology often means in traditional way that you're dealing with the LMS or anything to do with the authoring tools, licensing, WebEx, that sort of thing. And so you basically make sure that the technology works for everyone to create and deliver learning. And that's not what I do. In my case, um, I have just because of my background as well. So I have the technology background as a computer science engineer, as well as the instructional design part and learning design part. In my role, I have two goals. One is uh, I'm responsible for the technology, the underlying sort of tech stack that will um, enable us to do basically less content and more impact on the job. But also at the same time, the measuring and evaluation part, which we can discuss because without that, the technology doesn't mean anything else. So day to day, It is somewhere in between these two. So helping teams to understand how to change their mindset itself about how to go about uh, assessments and evaluation, but also pushing the envelope in the terms of technology of how we can use any technology to help us to enable people to do their job well and not course delivery. That's kind of like the big distinction between, I think, the traditional way and then our way of looking at it. Can we go a bit more in depth on the notion of learning technology stack? And if I remember correctly from our intro conversation, I know that you're not a fan of the word ecosystem. So what does that mean to have a tech stack or a learning stack? I'm not even sure if it's only about tech. And why is this reframing important for L&D professionals, but also for organizations? I don't have any problems with words and phrases unless it's picked up 
and just put out there as clickbaits on LinkedIn and everybody is agreeing with that without actually implementation and doing it. And so some of these phrases flying out there, like uh, you need an ecosystem or a learning tech sack, whatever that is, or actually use this lumber jumper. So whatever you call it, <laughs> it doesn't really matter as long as you have a clear understanding why you're doing that. And so one of the reasons is that we need to have a end goal first, and this is where measurement and evaluation comes in. If your goal is to have courses well-maintained and you know who completes what and when, even how long they spend in the course, that is a learning management system, and that works well for that purposes, for admins. In fact, it should be called course management system rather than learning management system because the learning they don't care about as much is more about the administration of courses. But that's one big tool that people are waiting for to solve all their problems. It will never happen because your problems are very different. And you start with the problems. One is that those courses that you put in, they might not be effective at all. When you talk to um, L&D professionals, sometimes you hear these dilemmas that it takes too long to create a course. And so we need some tool, some technology that makes it more efficient. And they cut this, you know, six weeks, let's say three weeks. You can have tools to do that. But the problem is that you're solving the wrong problem. Because if the course itself in the first place wasn't effective, there's no application and no business impact, then you're just solving something, spending money, resources. And so you have limited resources. Now you spend it on one thing, one big tool, and then suddenly you don't see any difference in the long run. That's why it's important, I think, to understand that the goal, whatever technology you're using, whether it's lumber jumber or ecosystem or stacks or whatever the thing is, it needs to solve the right problems, first of all. And then we can go into what are some of the problems and how you can go about it. But you always start with the very end. What is the problem that you're solving for? I understand what you mean. I'm also not a big fan of buzzwords. I think that it makes it easy for people to forget what's important, especially if it's so easy to jump on a trend and not really dig deep into it and understand what it can actually do for your function, for your business. I fully agree. We have been for a long time at a turning point in the L&D space, right? So it's, it's a change that's been happening and somehow it's still not here. And I think it's a matter of both people in learning and development understanding what's actually important for the business and also improving themselves or increasing their skill set to accommodate for the newest things that are happening. For example, data, right? Data is a thing that has made this giant, giant shift in the way businesses manage themselves. So given, given these circumstances, I think it's almost the duty of L&D professionals to kind of shift their approach to understanding data, understanding what data can do for the business, for L&D, and how you can use that to increase effectiveness of learning or impact of learning. Would you agree? Yes. In fact, this year, um, our goal was, our team's goal was to move away uh, from the traditional way of looking at measuring um, impact. And so we picked Will Thunheimer's LTEM model, learning transfer evaluation model, which I I strongly suggest people getting into, learn about it. Um, It is, in my opinion, much more practical 
and sellable to stakeholders than just saying we have these four levels of Kirkpatrick. But back to the question, so that was our, our goal, the end goal. However, you can't start with a learning um, transfer evaluation model without first understanding the underlying data. And this is when sort of data literacy comes in. Another buzzword. So actually we started the, the year, I created this data literacy program for the team. I went through, it's a whole month spaced out program wrapped around the little narrative. So it wasn't just dry um, data. It was a little bit of a gamified sort of approach going through. But, but the point was to understand that we are on the same page when we talk about data, what sort of data we see, what might be some of the questions that we need to ask and not just jump um, and try solutions, that sort of thing. And so that's when we had to start with data literacy. And from there, we can build on now to measure and evaluate. Without that, it is sort of random sort of thing. Okay, so now since you mentioned the magic word, which magic words, which are measure and evaluate, we are measuring and evaluating what as LNDs? That comes down to the value that we provide for the business. And I'm talking about mostly in, in organization, like Amazon and the private sector, it's about the business goals. If you take this out to higher ed and nonprofits and others, it might be different. But in our case, the value is technically the impact that we create on the job. So learning itself, the process of learning a skill or a knowledge itself is just a process that's not the end of our measurement. So if you stop measuring what happens in the LMS, what they do in the courses themselves, and then how they pass even the score they have, that is one aspect. Now, most L&D go above that a little bit, and they also ask about you know, how you like the course and what you learned, that sort of thing, like right away some sort of a smile sheet. That's another aspect. It's great to have if you see some absolutely drastic problems there, you can go in and solve it, but that's the end of it. I think for us to understand what the impact is, we need to go beyond that. And that requires understanding how this skill or knowledge or whatever your learning solution was about, how is that used on the job itself? And this is where learning transfer comes in. So we design from the beginning about what we need and how we need to support, for example, managers. We often forget about managers. We just forget about the individual, focus on the individual and take a course and now they know what to do and go about it. And that's not reality. In reality, especially if you have frontline workers, they go back to their job, they do what they're incentivized on, what their managers tell them. And if they have questions that the manager can't support, that's not gonna be transferred anywhere, no application of it. So our focus to answer simply your question, it should be what happens on the job after the learning event and how do we support that and spread this out rather than a one-time event into just-in-time support and sometimes even deciding that that's not even a course. If I make a checklist for you and I give it to you and in real time you can pull it up and you can use that, I make probably more impact than building a course around it and try to memorize it that I don't use for two weeks. If we keep this North Star in focus, it ultimately ends up proving that a lot of what has been happening in L&D is kind of wasteful, uh, kind of extra weight that should not have been added just for the sake of saying that L&D is doing something. 
Well, it, it all comes down to measurement. So again, like I've, I've been in that, I've done the same thing. We created this nice end of the year little leaflet about how many courses we delivered. We even came up with things like number of hours delivered per FTE. So what does that mean per person who created it? And that sort of a variation. Like nobody really cares about that. In fact, for the business, when you show something like, I basically forced the workforce to spend 14,000 hours in training. My question would be, if I was a businessman, that's great. That's a cost or an investment if, if I actually <laughs> believe in training. So this is an investment. Show me what I get for this. And that usually is the missing part of we don't even know whether they learned something, let alone apply, and let alone that was the right thing to apply at the right time. And so, yes, definitely changing our mindset for one. It needs to happen with stakeholders. The other thing I want to mention is like there's always this notion out there that the business knows what they're doing and they always know what's happening. They're always right. And we just have to adjust and get a seat at the table. But I don't know if these people have been into a business before. Business are making a lot of decisions on half data, 80% data, because they need to. They need to move fast. And so one of the things that as learning professionals, we need to adjust is that we're not going to have all the data for everything to make the right decision. We're going to have partially collected data, but we need to support the speed of the business. You can tell a business stakeholder that I'm going to come back in six months and I'll give you the perfect solution for what you need now. That becomes more like a priority trade-off sort of thing and not the traditional, you go into the classroom, do your research, and this is the best way to learn. That's great. That's one end. Another end is just throw courses out there. But somewhere in between, we need to understand how to work with the business efficient enough and uh, iterate and not just a one-time sort of magic approach. Yeah, or develop skills for the sake of saying that you're developing skills without a specific place where skills will be applied to <laughs> move the needle. I'm going to... Um shamelessly take a stab at the recent post that I saw where you also reacted where someone came up with another term which is grow in the flow of work instead of learning in the flow of work and it's yet again one of those things where we chew up the same kind of buzzwords but I feel like this industry and a lot of people in the domain are doing an excellent job of beating around the bush <laughs> and, uh, and it frustrates me a little bit. Okay so L&D needs to accept the fact that data has become a, a big part of driving progress, right? What's the actionable advice here? How do you make it so that you're not just creating content for the sake of content, but you're creating learning opportunities that actually have an impact? How do you build that in so that you're able to measure that effectiveness later? A couple of things. One is just, uh, it might be obvious, but we have to say it, like we need to actually change our mindset. Without the mindset change about what you're focusing on and what's the value, you keep just going back to what the stakeholders or SME is going to require you to do, which in the last decade, we taught them very easily that you come to us when you need training and we have better and better tools to provide you the content faster and faster. And in fact, if you give me a PDF or give me a PowerPoint, We'd already created content, and I can make that very quickly into some interactive, engaging form. The problem with this approach is that we need to teach them that it's not what we want to do. And so that's a hard thing. 
because now you have to go back to your stakeholders and say that we actually want to see that the table sort of thing and want us to actually improve what you're doing on the job itself. And so let us come earlier, not in the last moment when you need training or when you even think about it, that we need the project management tools and at the end of this, like three days of training creation. But let us come to you when you actually have issues that you don't know what the solution need for yet. So we have time to think about it and you're going to help you with that. And this is one thing that we do. We use action mapping, but it could be any of the other tools that L&D can provide. It is the traditional sort of needs assessment, but instead of going into this conversation with the focus that we need to know what the learners need to create a course, we walk in assuming that there might not even be a course. What we need to understand is what's happening today. What are the symptoms? How do they know that that's a problem? Sometimes SMEs don't know the answers. Sometimes they come back and say, we need training because that's what we did all the time when we had these issues. And then we ask them, did training work in the last couple of times? Oh, no. So then why don't we just switch that and try something else? And so the first thing to do is understand what people need to do, what are the tasks, and what makes it difficult for them to do. And that's what we're focusing on solution-wise. That's one thing. It's almost like becoming a consultant upfront and helping them see and find the solutions. And we can take those that after that, that's a learning problem, but only that part, because otherwise you're not going to have time. You're not going to have resources to create an impact. So that's one. The second part is understanding the data life cycle, just when and how to think about data. And many times what happens is that if you're not aware of just how data even goes from the moment when you think about, I would like to answer a question, a business question, all the way to presentation and storytelling, then you think about data at the end when, okay, we're delivering it. What can we get out of the LMS? And then that's your data point. That's way too late. So one thing that we practiced and learned is asking the right questions up front, understanding who the players are, so-called in this game, in this data game, who owns what data, and how we can actually combine those to have some meaningful understanding. And the last thing is, I'll give you something very practical, because again, you can talk about this forever and waiting for some big analytical tool to show up in your organization. But what can you do as a learning professional who designed training today? And this is where LTEM comes in. In every level in our organization, we use LTEM, but differently. So this model helps, for example, a designer. When things come to the learning designer, it might not be early enough to make some huge different approach and suddenly realize like, oh, this is not the right approach but they can still make a difference of how they design what they're working on. And so in the LTEM, what we tell them simple is just look at what your SME and your designer work through in the storyboard. And if there is no knowledge checks, then that's a big sign, a problem, okay? And so what we tell them is go back to everyone and look at how and what you're actually measuring. And if your SME, usually what they do is they want to recall these things. Like I tell you something on page one and then recall it on page three. Do you remember how many tabs, blah, 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 application has and that sort of thing. So I want to go back all of those and think about them, how that information is used on the job in reality in context. And then put that, so move it from the recall, factual sort of things to the application part. How do they see that? what they actually encounter on the job. Because one, that 
much easier to remember when they get back to the job. Like, oh yeah, I remember this screen that we talked about. And two is that learning about the whys, the application, it is more likely that we used on the job than just factory call. So that one little thing that you can push SMEs towards application, and that could be simple application of even multiple choice, as long as it's meaningful and contextual, but even better when you actually have them do the task, whether it's a simulation inside or go and send them out to the real thing and come back. This is where technology comes in, because what if you can actually send them out somewhere, complete something in the system, and that system sends a message back that, yes, they did it. Would it be much easier for us to give feedback or give hints if they're not doing it? rather than try to recreate that in a course in some magical way, drag and dropping. Are you able to tell me if you're using at Amazon any sort of simulation software in order to support learning? So it really depends on what you're learning. If you look at the technology side of Amazon AWS, they have excellent things when they combine both the AWS console, when you actually build things, and the learning. They go around this tour, I think, year by year, and you can have these teams and compete against finding problems and solutions, but they're actually working inside the real simulated console. So it is not a separate training that you just click on things. They actually do the real thing. They even have a gamified version of that called CloudQuest. When you, as an avatar in this town and the mayor wants to build or improve their infrastructure, And so you play a role asking people about what they really need and then go to the actual build that in the console. So that is a high-end thing, obviously, because you you need an infrastructure behind it and that's on. But sometimes what we'd like to do is simply do an assessment and then based on the assessment, either add some sort of little micro-learning or a checklist that you use or remove things from your roadmap because you already know that. And so this is where, again, an underlying technology like API can be used with an LRS, a learning record store, that you can start with, for example, a goal setting. When you set your goal for the next five weeks on improving whatever your skill is, and then you learn some of the techniques, you share it with others. It's not just one person in the LMS taking courses, but doing some sort of an activity, bring back what you learned, share it with others, find best practices. And then some midway, this technology brings back the goal and say, okay, this was your goal. How are you improving it today? Where are you now? We completed it. What else you need? And so everybody can start at the same place, but their pace and their route will be different depending on what they do and not who they are and what other courses they took before. So that is more, I think, along the lines of flexibility. If you you have XAPI, on LRS and some of these triggers that you can use. In traditional LMS, it's hard to do because it's almost like every course is on their own little world and there's not much connection between them. I feel the need to maybe go back a little bit to the beginning of the conversation, just to go a bit more in depth on this term of learning tech stack, because we've already used a couple of quite big classes of technology. So LRS, Learning Record Store, XAPI, which is a standard of how you both create and analyze a learning activity, let's say, and you extract from there where in the learning activity the person is, what they're struggling with, what kind of concepts they revisit and whatnot. Also LMS, obviously learning management system, Honestly, the outcome of a learner touching all of these is 
pure data. And that means that somehow either these systems speak to each other or they speak to a sort of centralizing point that gathers all this data and churns out some sort of interpretation, hopefully even a predictive sort of interpretation. So I feel we must go into, into API and into digital literacy and also address this a little bit. It's not incredibly accessible for every company, for every L&D team to be immediately looking into this. But I also feel that it's almost our, our duty, let's say, to explain how this makes a difference, how this makes an impact in both effectiveness of learning measurement, progress made by the individual, and also ultimately impact in the business. So can you... Can you share a bit about that or your philosophy behind this, let's say? I don't know what the question specifically is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So we could probably spend the whole day on the ecosystem components. So let's bring it down to almost like categories of things that we need to look at. And before we get into the technology part of these things, again, um, we'll go back to our conversation. You need to understand what you're solving for. And once you have that, then you can kind of combine these things into ecosystem or whatever your terminology is to what is the best way to solve that and what communication these components need. And so let's start with why is it not just one tool? If you've been around the last 20 years, uh, you were always in transition probably between two LMSs. This is how every company does. They deploy two years and then two years later, they move on to the next one or a new technology. And still, we're not solving what we're set out to solve for. So that is probably not the right way to go. If you find one tool that does everything, let me know, because I haven't seen that in the last 20 years. This is why it's more an ecosystem, uh, a part of components. Each of them does very well what, what they're assigned to do. And they're flexible, so you can combine them. You can have some sort of a language that they talk and connect that's the integration. So look at what we do today. If you think about the traditional approach, we create courses. Even that could be improved if we use the right tools to create better, more effective courses. And so for that, you would need to know whether you are effective or not, (laughs) because without that, you don't know what to change. And so um, a simple example of that is we had a group who got this PDF that they had to learn from about products. And this was the two companies, and we had no control over uh, what the other one gave us. And so we said, this is not working. We need a little more in-depth learning here because reading PDF for an hour or two is not going to help them to memorize or let alone use all these things. What we did was, and we didn't have time for that. Again, business runs. So what we created is basically a, a simple trivia sort of approach when they use the PDF, finding the information, discussing with each other what the right answer would be, and then go through the trivia. What they didn't know that we actually collecting data from those trivia, so we knew where they spent time, what sort of questions they had, that will help us for the next two days for the ILT when someone comes in. But that was not enough because that's just, again, finding information is one thing. The second round of thing was that we split them into two groups. I'm like, hey, now you're going to create a trivia for the other group. So come up with good questions, 20 questions, but they have to be good. And so we give them a description of what is a good question. They learned very quickly that creating a good question, an assessment question, is much harder than they thought. They worked on it hard. It took them about four hours or so to, to build these 20 questions. But while they were doing that, they were actually learning. 
And then what we did was the next day is that we switched and each group took their trivia. And it was a little bit like a celebration and bragging rights, that sort of thing. But all this data was then collected, analyzed. And then when the ILT happened, we just gave them to the facilitators, look, this is where they are today. This is where they know inside out. This is where you need to focus more on. So that doesn't require very sophisticated things. You have to use something that collects data. It works even squirm and it's painful, but you can get something out of it. So that's the minimum level. But now then you go into the next level of, okay, how can I actually send this information to somewhere where I can reuse it, not just analyze it, but maybe I can read it too. And this is where, for example, today, it's very important to use some sort of a standard. And this is where XAPI comes in because now I can create a statement about who did what, when, and how, instead of just saying completed and here's the score. And they all go into the same place. And so now I can use some sort of other tools and technology to read those for me. Imagine if someone is learning about a soft skill, maybe it's leadership or management, and they don't even believe that this is working. That is a very different approach than someone who, yeah, I've been studying this thing, give me best practices. But we don't know who these people are and don't know what their opinions are. So starting out with something that teases out their opinion, and then based on that, give them the next phase or step. This is when you can do with an XAPI, which is the underlying language sort of. But then above that, you can have obviously a learning record store that is all stored, like a little LMS sort of thing. And then some sort of application that triggers things. You can also use even just a storyline now with XAPI of support. You can read back that statement and then understand, okay, this person's attitude is X. Do I change how you approach this learning versus if I had no idea what that person think about this whole topic at all? So those are the, uh, I think the components and then analytics, we haven't even touched that. That is the beauty of collecting that data. As long as, again, you have great policies, ethics laid down and all that, because that's another whole story of when you start combining data, it becomes a much more complicated HR issue of what you can do with that. You have to be clear and follow rules. But once you have that information, then you can make decisions both on your learning design, what's working and what's not, but also you can combine this with and support managers. So imagine a six weeks new hire onboarding sort of thing. When the manager, when they get the, the direct report, they already know what their weaknesses and strengths are, when they need to support and when they not, or even what their aspirations are for the next two years, rather than all they know is as they completed the courses throughout the onboarding. There's a lot that you can take a look in the stack and where the components, this ecosystem comes in is that I can change the components to something else as long as this new component speaks the same language and share the same sort of information with others and not just closed like an LMS when you only have learning data in it and that's it, that's the information. This is where I get a little bit suspicious when people say that they have adaptive learning in an LMS because honestly, if you take my records, in the last five years. And based on that, you can predict anything that I want to do. I think that you're a magician. I feel like both of us are trying very hard not to open Pandora's box with the adaptive and the whole AI conversation. And then also what you were saying earlier about the data and the privacy aspect of it and how you actually address it, let's say. 
but we shall not venture into that territory. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the right buzzword, if we are to commit the capital sin here to use a buzzword, is data-driven learning design. I think that's what we are talking about. Is that accurate? Do you know? Well, again, we can call it lumber jumper. As long as you go backwards, start with what the business needs, start with the performance goals, start with the gap, what people need to do, what makes it hard to do, and then focus on helping them, whether it's a course, whether it's a micro learning or a lumber jumper that you create, as long as it helps them to do their job better. And that's where the data comes in. You need to understand both of what's happening out there what's happening before, during, and after any learning event that you create. And then from those insights, you can make a decision around how to, one, improve what you did because you learned something. Or with all these um, basic real-time decisions is that you can actually do an A-B testing. What we call A-B testing is if you don't know whether, let's say, it has to be a video with a live person or it's just a simple animated thing trying to do the same, and you have this long conversation between uh, you have data, just put it out there and see what works better and then use the one that works. And so you don't have to be right 100% of the time. You just have to be right for that audience in that context. You don't need a white paper. You don't need a, like a research paper on this, that it works all the time. If it works for you, it works for you. Use that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I guess the biggest thing that is on my mind right now is I do believe that you are in a somewhat fortunate situation because you do have quite a giant organization that has enough critical mass to accommodate complex technologies and large teams that can implement maybe new you know, content strategies or testing or whatnot. Do you have any advice for maybe smaller organizations, maybe in the hundreds or just like low thousands of employees that don't necessarily have such a giant L&D team or such, you know, readily available technical resources to look at this? I think the, the number might be deceiving. Sometimes it's hard to pull up things with lots of people and it's much easier to be nimble with a smaller <laughs> number, especially if it involves maybe licensing as well, because whether you talk about 50 million, 50,000, or 50 people, that's a huge difference. But anyway, let's assume that the resources are limited and they want to improve from tomorrow rather than waiting for some you know, big windfall and so they can buy a new system. The first thing that I suggest for everyone is rethink of what the value is, what they're creating today. Because in order to change that, they need organization change mostly. They need functional change and they need some processes and how they work with others. So this is like a rebranding sort of exercise, but instead of just changing our name from learning in the workflow, growing in the workflow or whatever the new thing is, we actually have to think about why and what we change to support that. It starts with understanding what the value is. I strongly suggest reading about LTEM because it gives you a different perspective of where you're focusing and how you can focus on those tiers. Second is everybody has a smile sheet that you send out. How did you like it? How did you like the course? What was good about it? How was the delivery? Did you think you learned? Blah, blah, blah. Starting with rewriting those questions into more specific and more insightful and tangible things, asking learners about how they're going to apply 
what problems they might foresee, what barriers, what support they would need from their perspective to actually apply it and do that. You might learn that half of your audience think at the end of this, whatever you build, learning solution is that I don't ever use this thing. It doesn't even apply to me. And then that was a waste of time, definitely. Now, I mean, they may not be right, but then at least you have some data around, okay, so these people either assign to things that's just very generic and they have no idea how that applies to their role, and it may not, or it may not clear how. And so in that case, what you can improve is you can have some generic course on X if you really have to, but then give them very specific examples based on who they are and what they do of how does that look like in your role here, and then give them some exercise, like go and try it, and then come back and say what worked, what didn't. And then you connect with others. How does that work for you? How does that work for me? What did you learn? And so all these little things can be done in any system. It's just a different way of thinking about it. Moving away from content, one-time event, to spaced out social elements and feedback. Feedback is, I think, the one missing piece that we have not figured out in the last 20 years. And that's the most important one because nobody really wants to do something without knowing that they're doing it well or how they should improve or what's working well and keep it. And feedback is the only thing that we just completely cut out from when we moved everything from ILT in-person to online. Because now we created this e-learning that's on demand. Anybody can anytime use it. It's great for the business. It's one-time investment. But if that itself is not giving you the feedback that you need of how you're doing, then it's basically a hidden cost. Or any feedback at all if you can't capture any data. Capturing the feedback and act on it. But even just the fact that all the feedback we get sometimes is like, yes, that was right. Or no, it wasn't. We have no idea why. We have no idea what else could have been done. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we assume that just because you can pick the right answer, in four options, you're actually going to do the same in your job in, under different circumstances. In practice, yeah, or under pressure or much later. Yeah. Okay. I genuinely didn't realize earlier the aspect of such a large organization actually posing some other levels of complexity. So thank you for opening my eyes to that because I genuinely didn't consider. I just looked at, oh, wow, Amazon is just a giant population of potential learners that could, you know, <laughs> inform and bring more data. But I didn't consider the whole licensing aspect or other complexities of scale. Thank you. That was my takeaway from this. I'm grateful that I got a chance to listen to you speak more in depth about this. I feel that there's so much pragmatic, actionable advice in this conversation that I will personally spend some time to unpack it. You are very gracious and thank you for your insight. Thank you so much for having me. And if anybody want to follow up on that, you can find me on LinkedIn. So I'm happy to chat with anybody else who wants to put this into practice because in theory, anybody can be great, but let's just make it actually happen. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been another episode of LND Spotlight. If you'd like to get in touch and join the conversation, write to me at liz at niftylearning.io or connect with me on LinkedIn at Liz Stefan. Have a productive week, everyone.